Please turn with me in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3. We are in verse 17. Philippians 3 verse 17. If you don't have a Bible, don't own a Bible, there's uh, Bibles by the door. We would love to give those to you and uh, just offer that as a gift and really believe in the power of God's word in our lives. So Philippians 3 verse 17. We're going to go through chapter 4 verse 1 this evening. And let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the future that you have promised to us as believers. That you have prepared a place for us where there will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more death or disease or murder or abuse. And we ask by your grace through the power of your Holy Spirit that you would allow us to know the hope of heaven. That we would get a greater glimpse of eternal life that we could truly move forward in our lives. So we thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. In chapter 3 of Philippians, we see first where Paul said, the things that were gained to me, I counted loss so that I could have Christ, so that I could understand Christ in a greater way. Paul was really saying, I am surrendering my life. I, I'm living my life as an open hand uh, before the Lord. Then we got into the middle section where Paul said there's one thing that he does. He forgets those things that are behind and he presses forward to the future that God has. Now this paragraph that we're going to study tonight really shows us how to move forward. Once we get to that place of that mature mindset where we say, I'm going to forget those things that lie behind. Now I'm ready to press forward, but how do I do that? So these verses speak to that for us this evening. I want to read from verse 12 down to verse 16 to remind us of the context, to read this in way of reminder. Not that I've already attained or am already perfected, but I press on, that I may lay hold of that for which Christ Jesus has laid hold of me. Brethren, I do not count myself to have apprehended, but one thing I do, forgetting those things which are behind and reaching forward to those things that are ahead. I press toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, let us, as many as are mature, have this mind. And if anything you think otherwise, God will reveal even this to you. Nevertheless, to the degree that we've already attained, let us walk by the same rule. Let us be of the same mind. Now we get to our text tonight. Brethren, join in following my example and note those who so walk as you have us for a pattern. So Paul, he's saying, look, once you gain this mindset to, to move forward, now he encourages the church of Philippi to follow his example. So if you're taking notes tonight, write this down. Note a godly example. So in this journey, in our relationship with the Lord, it's really important for the church of Philippi to be able to look at the Apostle Paul and say, this is what it means to move forward. This is what it means to press on. And God uses people in our lives to cause growth and to show us how to move forward. I was thinking about this uh, yesterday. I went for a jog, a run with a friend of mine. He's a runner. I am not. And uh, so it was on my lunch hour here at the church and he picked me up in the church parking lot and we went over to Palmer Park, which is right across the academy and, and parked in a parking lot of an apartment complex. And, and we start running and we start running and 
we're going to go up first and go to the very top by, by the, the lookout. It ended up being about a four-mile run. I knew that that's what I was in for. Uh, and the longer we began to run, the further he got out in front of me and the more that I was sucking wind. It was at one point in the run, he says, we've been going for 19 minutes. And I think that's when the gas really started to go out as we're touring through uh, Garden of the Gods or Palmer Park, excuse me. But as we continued to run, I was thinking about this passage and he was out in front of me as an example and he was really motivating me to, to run in, in a greater way. And then there was times where he would be out in front and he'd actually run back to me to encourage me and then get, go back further, you know. But I really think that I wouldn't have done it without him, right? And that's the way the Christian life is, is there's people that are out in front of us and then there's people that are new in the Lord. And what we're to do is to, to look for someone's example to be able to, to follow. So notice a few things about this, this verse. Is Paul says, I'm an example for you to follow. And then he says, note those who so walk. And that word note, maybe you want to underline or pay attention to. It's an imperative in the Greek language, which means a command. And the word is to notice or to look out for. You're to, to notice. You're, you're looking at people's lives and you're saying, God, help me discern or notice someone who is a godly example so that I could follow. And Paul says he's an example, and he says looking for others that are a godly example, that you can follow them as a pattern. A pattern's an example, a type, a model. If you do any type of sewing, you're familiar with the pattern. If, if you've watched someone sew, maybe you watched your, your mom or your grandma uh, so, or your wife, and you see the, the pattern out on, upon the table. And that's exactly what this verse is encouraging us, is you watch what they do, and you try to em emulate it. So here you are, you're saying, I want to move forward in my relationship with God. I want to forget those things that are behind, become closer to Christ, have greater godly character. A very important part of that growth is going to be by noting an example and choosing to follow them. So, so you might be saying, how do I do this, right? How do I find somebody that's a godly example that I could be in their life? And first, you just want to start to, to look around. Is there someone at your work that's a godly example that you could follow and start to be in their life more? Is there, is there someone in your family? Is there someone in your circle of friends? Is there somebody in your, in your church family you know, as you've come to RMC for a while and you look around and you go, you know, I, I notice that they have a deeper relationship with God. They've got a consistency that, that I would enjoy in my relationship with God. It, it may mean signing up for a woman's Bible study, ladies. It may be men signing up for, for a men's study. But as you're taking that study, you're, you're intentionally saying, God, would you provide a mentor in my life? Yes. Take that bold risk, whether they're in your church or they're in your workplace or in your neighborhood or in your family, and say, you know what, I, I really need somebody in my life that I can walk with and know in a greater way, and I see that you're further along. Could we get together? Could we, could we meet maybe once a month and I could ask you questions and observe things that are going on in your life? You know, someone who is a little bit further along in their relationship with the Lord, I can almost guarantee they're not going to say no. 
They're, they're probably not going to go, well, you know, I'm not really too, not very excited about that, right? One of the ways that we're attempting to do this here at RMC is we have a marriage mentoring ministry because this type of learning is, doesn't come from a distance. This isn't the type of learning that comes from hearing a sermon. So in the marriage mentoring, we have couples that are willing to mentor younger couples. And some of you may be saying, you know, I'm not perfect and my marriage is not perfect, but I really feel like I'm at a place where I would love to mentor a couple that's in their first few years of marriage or their first five years of, of marriage. We would encourage you to go to our, our webpage and, and fill out a request form and we'll follow up with you and and do an interview with you and to see if you would be a good couple to be able to do mentoring. But also, if you'd like to be mentored, you can go and fill out a form there. Right now, we're in need of more mentors than those that are desiring to be mentored, but fill it out either way. The nice thing about this is there's a non-committal meeting. It's almost like the initial date. So, as the couple that's desiring to be mentored, you get to go to this meeting and see if, if you connect. If you're the one doing the mentoring, you also get to see if you can connect. But that's just one way. The Bible is organic. It's not a programs. God intended for the principles of his word to be operated through the power of the Holy Spirit. And it's my job, not somebody else's job, it's my job to note those around me who are a godly influence and in saying, I'm choosing to follow their pattern. Make sense? It's not somebody else's job to do that for me. I'm the one that needs to be proactive so that I can grow in my learning. The Bible is filled with this type of learning. We think of Moses and his assistant Joshua. How was Joshua trained? He watched Moses and he said, this is a pattern for me to be able to follow. How was Elisha trained? By watching Elijah. That's how he was, how was trained. How did Isaac develop a love for God? By watching the godly example of his father, Abraham. How did Timothy grow to be such a great young pastor? By watching Paul. So this is an important part of, of our learning, is look for someone who can be a pattern for you to, for you to follow. They're not going to be perfect. You're not going to put them on a pedestal. They're not Jesus, Right? They're going to let you down. You may learn more from their mistakes than even their successes. But this is really important to say, I know that there's people that are further along in their relationship with God. I want to follow their example. But guess what? There's also somebody who's newer in the Lord. And so be willing to look around and go, man, is, is there someone at this fellowship that really needs me to reach out to them? Invite them to a cup of coffee to come over to your house or to go to lunch or, or dinner and say, hey, I'd love to, to get to know you because this is where Christian learning happens. This is where growth happens. Note a godly example to be able to follow. In verse 18, For many walk, of whom I've told you often, and now tell you even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ. So now Paul is contrasting and he's saying, note those who oppose the cross. So, so first, we're, we're noting those who are a godly example. But now we're looking at those who are an enemy of the cross. And Paul says, I've told you often of these, and there's many that walk upon that path. Isn't that interesting? Paul says there, there's many that are enemies of the cross. 
There's many that want nothing to do with Jesus Christ. And Paul says, I've warned you about them many times. But notice the way that Paul warns. He warns weeping. Isn't it easy to get a hard heart towards those that despise the cross, that despise Jesus? We're we're no longer concerned with their salvation. We're no longer concerned that they're they're going to hell. And Paul in no way is angry. He's not bitter. He's not frustrated. He's weeping. He's saying, this, this is tragic. Yes, you've got to watch out for this group, but it's tragic that they don't know Christ as their Savior. Why do we exist as a church? We exist to know the Lord, to grow in our understanding of the Lord, for the purpose of sharing the Lord. Amen? It's not just for my comfort or my well-being, and we can easily forget about the lost, forget about those that don't know Christ as our Savior, and hopefully God softens our heart. He brings us to that place of, of weeping for those that don't know Jesus, not getting a calloused heart. Why is the cross so controversial? Why are there people that are enemies to the cross? You can talk about almost anything, but you begin to talk about God sending his son to be crucified for sin, rise again on the third day, that all who believe in Jesus are saved. This is where it gets tricky and then say it's exclusive. The only way to the Father is through Jesus Christ. That's the message of the cross. And people are going to start to have an opinion about the cross. It was about 10 days ago. I had the opportunity to do a funeral right right here. And there was about 15, 20 people sitting in these two, three rows right here in the front. And I got to the end of the funeral, John 3, 16. I always see funerals as a great opportunity to share the gospel. Why? Because we're all going to end up there. You know, unless the rapture of the church happens, we're all going to have a funeral. And it causes us to think about our own eternity. And there was a a man probably in his mid-30s. And as soon as I said John 3.16, before I could even finish reading the verse, he got up out of his seat and he walked, walked out. And he, w- he was polite, but he was also very determined in his body language to say, I will not hear about Jesus. You know, I am not going to sit here and allow somebody to tell me about Christ's, Christ's love for me. And it broke my heart. That, that, that at that moment, that that's what he chose. And hopefully at some point he, he does change his mind. Because the cross to many people is either offensive or foolish. Some people go, it's just foolish that God would give his own son. Why would God give his son? Or it's foolishness to believe that Jesus is God. It's foolishness to believe that he rose from the dead. And don't even take the time to examine the claims. But to others, it's offensive because... They believe they can be their own savior. They're willing to trust in their own righteousness. I'm a good person, so why would I need Christ to die upon the cross? It's offensive that you're telling me that I'm a sinner. It's it's offensive that you're telling me I need to trust in somebody else's offer in order for me to receive salvation. Look at the fruit of being enemies of the cross, whose end is destruction— whose God is their belly, and whose glory is their own shame, who set their mind on earthly things. So we're noting a godly example. We're noting people that are following after Christ. 
but we're also noting those who are an enemy to the cross. And the first is their end is destruction. You're saying, I don't know if I agree with that. I know a lot of people that don't want to have anything to do with Jesus, and they seem to be doing quite well in life. Well, is this life the end of the story? What happens if you reject Christ throughout this life? The Bible tells us you go to hell. You're eternally separated from God. It's ultimate destruction. To be an enemy of the cross is ultimate destruction. It's what brings God's judgment into our lives when we reject Christ, where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, outer darkness. And so that's the result of being an enemy of the cross. Whose God is their belly? Interesting worship choice, isn't it? My God, what I worship, is my belly. What's being expressed in this? My survival, my daily needs, getting through this life, is what I live for. That is, that is my God. Is that contrasted with the Christian life? Yes. We're to seek first the kingdom of God. Where we're not just living for a roof over our head. We're not living just for a meal. But we're seeking first the kingdom of God. So someone who's opposed to the cross, they, they put their needs, their survival, at the very utmost of their lives whose glory is their shame. Have you ever met someone or found yourself of being in the position where you're glorying in something, but you really shouldn't be, right? Maybe you're, you're glorying in your bowling score, feeling like, oh, this is pretty good. And then the guy next to you triples your bowling score. You're like, oh, I guess I really shouldn't have been so excited that I beat my eight-year-old in bowling, right? And so here are the enemies of the cross. They're, they're going around boasting and they're glorying, but there's shame in their glory. They, they really shouldn't be glorying. These aren't things that they should be taking pride in. It's Romans chapter 1. In Romans chapter 1, it tells us that they declared themselves to be wise, but in actuality, they had become fools, worshiping the creation more than the creator. Many people pride themselves in worshiping creation, worshiping the trees and the animal and the ocean and the sun and the moon. But in reality, is that something you should be boasting in? No, you should be worshiping the creator who set their mind on earthly things. That This is the fruit of being an enemy to the cross. If you don't believe in Jesus, what's your alternative? You're going to live for this world. You're going to set your mind on earthly things. We've been going through the book of Ecclesiastes as a staff on Wednesday morning. And it's an example of a life. Solomon writes the book of what happens when our fulfillment, our focus, our substance is under the sun living. If we put everything lock, stock, and barrel into trying to find meaning of just under the sun. What's his conclusion? It's emptiness. It's vanity. It's toiling and grasping for the wind. The Christian life is contrasted. We're not to be just setting our mind on earthly things, but we're to be setting our mind on things that are above. This life only makes sense when we start to live vertically. When we're living for our relationship with God and we're lining ourselves up with his purposes and, and his, his mission. 
I think there's a bit of a challenge there in verse 19. Could it be that I'm moving towards this group a little bit? I think in life, we're going to choose to follow something or, or someone. Are, are you following people that are of godly example? Who really gets our attention in our culture? It's our media, isn't it? It's what we watch on TV. It's what we stream. It's the movies that we watch. It's the music that we, we listen to. We're constantly consuming all of those things, and they're teaching us something, aren't they? They're getting a message across to us. And a lot of times, it's serve your belly. A lot of times, it's serve yourself. A lot of times, it's just do whatever it takes to get through this life or do whatever feels good. And then we contrast that and we go, well, how much time did I spend with people who love God? Eh, Not so much this week. How much time did I spend in God's word? Well, not so much this month. Just by sheer practicality, what teacher is going to start to have more influence, right? All this media that's coming into my life that's completely opposed to the work of Jesus Christ. Have you noticed that secular media is opposed to Christ? When was the last time in secular media that you got really stoked about who Jesus is, right? That's not the conclusion that you're going to come away with. And I'm not saying, you know, don't watch movies, don't watch TV, you know, don't, don't listen to, to music. I'm saying be astute and be, be realized, okay, this is somebody who's opposed to Christ that's trying to get me to set my mind on earthly things. And I need to make sure that God's influence, God's voice, God's people are the ones that are speaking into my life. I'm choosing to follow Christ. I'm choosing a a godly example that I'm going to to run after. In verse 20, we now know our citizenship is in heaven. And Paul really, he contrasts. He he says, here's the person that doesn't know the Lord, and now here's the person who, who knows the Lord. He says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. Do you guys remember Philippi, the city of Philippi here? in Greece was a Roman colony. That's really interesting when Paul brings up this word citizenship. Roman Empire. Citizenship is really important. If you get the opportunity to travel internationally, you'll start to discover what a gift it is to be a citizen of the United States of America. A very valuable thing to have in your pocket is a passport of the United States of America. If you're trying to get back into the States and you don't have that blue book, you're, you're in trouble. And most nations and most countries welcome us in with our American passport. That's the way it was in the Roman Empire, but magnified. If you could be a Roman citizen, it gave you right to participate in the government of Rome. They didn't just have one country, but they dominated many countries also gave you the legal privilege to have property, to own property as a a Roman citizen. If you weren't a Roman citizen, you didn't have the privilege of participating in those things. Underneath the highest level of Roman citizens, they had citizens that were called client citizens, which meant that you were an ally to Rome, and you weren't a full-fledged citizen, but you had partial privileges. But you couldn't vote, 
in the government. You had no say in the government, but we also know in the Roman Empire that it was filled with slaves. They were not even recognized as a legal person. They didn't have legal personhood. In the Roman Empire, if you were a slave, you were not recognized as a person. Isn't that tragic? I mean, that, that's heartbreaking. So it would be very easy for the church of Philippi to look at the value of life by saying, I'm either a Roman citizen or I'm not. And here Paul says, you have higher citizenship than Rome and you're a citizen of heaven. To the king of kings, the Lord of lords, to the city that's enduring, to the city that has foundations, that's eternal, that never changes church. How many countries have come and gone since Paul wrote these words? There is no Roman Empire, right? What if you put everything into being a Roman citizen? Well, they're gone, right? We're relatively young as a country. Who knows how long we're going to exist? But being a citizen of heaven, that lasts forever. That, that's eternal. And as we start to put together the pieces of this passage of forgetting what lies behind and pressing forward to what lies ahead, we need to lay hold of our heavenly citizenship because this really motivates us. Do you ever find it so hard to move forward? Like, I know it's a biblical concept and I can't live in the past and I can't keep feeling sorry for myself, but I also can't talk myself into moving forward. I'm struggling with having the motivation. I think if we could get a glimpse of how good heaven is, that would become our motivation to continue to move forward. And we don't know when we're going to step in, right? Like we could step into heaven tonight. We could step into heaven tomorrow. And I'd sure like to step in going strong. You know what I'm saying? It would be sure nice to be, go out on a, on a strong note in loving Christ as, as our Savior. So what is heaven like? Well, what does this really mean to have citizenship? First, we know that Jesus said that he was going to prepare a place for us. As he ascended back to the Father, he's busy about preparing a place for us. Now, this world's amazing. This life is amazing. God spoke everything into existence in six days in, in Genesis. Imagine what heaven's going to be like if he's been working on it this whole time, right? And he does tell us about the glory of heaven. He tells us that there's no more disease, there's no more sickness, there's no more tears. He wipes away our tears. They're, they're no more. We'll see in just a moment, we get a glorified body in heaven, there's no sin. There's no presence of, of sin. These glorified bodies that we'll receive will never know sin. How great is that going to be? There's no nighttime in heaven because the face of Jesus radiates heaven. So we have to assume that these glorified bodies don't need sleep. We probably aren't going to be sleeping in heaven. If we do, it's going to be for, for leisure, not for necessity, right? Maybe you're one of those that you just can't sleep, right? Well, someday you're not going to need sleep. You're going to be with the Lord. The streets are paved with gold. What's God communicating with that? What's most valuable here on earth is just asphalt in heaven. It's a totally different economy. We're going to see the Lord. We're going to behold the Lord. Forever be with him. The Bible talks about ruling and reigning with Christ. I got to tell you, I don't know fully what that's about. 
But I do understand that God's going to have things for us to do in heaven. It's not going to just be an eternal existence of nothingness, of boredom, right? Complete joy. And we look forward to that. We're going to be with the Lord. And God puts that hope with inside of us, and that causes us to get up and say, you know what? I'm moving forward. I'm, I'm pressing in to what God has for me. If I'm a citizen of heaven, and this hope of heaven is in front of me, would this affect how I live? It should, shouldn't it? Because it causes me to see what's really important in this life. To know Christ, to share Christ, the things that I get worried about are really not that important. So let's go a little bit further in this. You guys having fun yet? So if we're citizens in heaven, does our citizenship here matter? Yes. Yes, it does. Is there anything wrong with being thankful that you're American? To be thankful for our country? To be concerned about the direction of our country? No, I think we should be. But it's secondary to the motivating citizenship what's in heaven. Now I'm going to step on some toes. Sometimes, as American Christians, we get our citizenship mixed up. And we put our American citizenship before our heavenly citizenship. It can happen, can't it? Now, I'm not saying don't be passionate about your country. I hope that you are. I hope you're involved. I hope you're voting. I hope you're concerned about, about the future. But we have no guarantee about the future of any country. We only have the guarantee of our heavenly citizenship. So we put the heavenly citizenship first, and then we put our citizenship as Americans second. Now that I've really offended everybody, we'll keep going. Verse 20, for which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. He's the one that's going to make all things right. And we eagerly wait for his return. Church, he is going to return. He's going to come back. And as we read the Bible and we understand the unfolding message of God, it's the return of Jesus Christ that sets everything right. Until then, there's going to be chaos. Until then, there's going to be wars and rumors of wars and disease and pestilence and, and famine. That's, that's the reality of what's going to be until Christ comes. But our anticipations on Christ as citizens of heaven we're eagerly waiting for him to return. We're saying, Maranatha, which means come quickly. Jesus, come quickly. Do you ever look around in our own city and say, Jesus, come quickly? Do you ever look around in your own family and say, Jesus, come quickly, right? Do you ever look around in our country and say, Jesus, come quickly? Yeah. I was reading in the news this week in, in London, and the thing right now is they're having acid attacks where these teenage boys are going through the city of London and just throwing acid on people. So you've got people having acid going into their eyes and losing their, their eyesight. And they gave all the research in England of how these attacks have just gone up and up and up. And it's gangs. They said it's the gang activity and they, they don't have access to a gun or a knife so that they can make acid out of household cleaning projects and just going through through town and businesses and nightclubs saying, I just want to throw acid on somebody. And you're like, 
what in the world? Like, you're doing this to people you don't even know just for the sake of, of being evil. And you go, Lord, come quickly. And we eagerly wait for Christ to return. What are we doing until Christ's return? Sharing Christ, reaching out to the lost, preaching the gospel, so as many people as possible can come to know Christ as their Savior. Could some of those young men that are throwing acid on people come to know Christ as their Savior? Absolutely. Think about what kind of pastors those young men could be, preachers those men could be. They already have boldness. They need Christ to get a hold of their hearts and their lives. Fix our eyes on Christ. Eagerly wait for his return. Sometimes I forget this. Sometimes I, I forget that there isn't going to be an earthly solution until Christ returns. I, I put my anticipation on things that are earthly instead of my anticipation on things that are above. Here's the promise. Who will transform our lowly body that it may be conformed to his glorious body according to the working by which he's able even to subdue all things to himself. So he takes this lowly body and he conforms it to his glorious body. Jesus is the first fruits of the resurrection, meaning we're going to follow in his footsteps. When we think of the glorified body that we're going to receive, don't think about this body resurrected. This body is temporal. It was designed as a tent to be temporary. But the glorious body knows no sin and is designed to last for eternity. It's your ultimate dwelling place, your ultimate habitation, this glorified body for all of eternity. Can you imagine that? A mind that doesn't wear out. Man, when I was in my 20s, my memory, oh, it was so good. It was all the information was just right there. And it's still there, but now it's a little bit more like that, right? And as I continue to journey in this life, I'm going to be like, you know, somewhere in the Bible, there was this verse that I remember reading, right? And when I was 22, it was like, man, here's the verse, here's the cross-reference, bam, here, here you go, you know? What does the scripture tell us about these temporary bodies that we have. It says, therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is perishing. Yet where the inward man is being renewed day by day. So when you wake up and your outward man is reminding you that it's dying, that it's decaying, remember this promise that your inward man can be renewed every day, day by day. For a light affliction, which is for a moment, is working for us a far more exceeding and eternal weight of glory. While we do not look at things which are seen, but the things which are not seen. For the things which are seen are temporary, but the things which are not seen are eternal. We will receive a glorified body that's like the body of Christ. And it's according to his working, which he's able even to subdue all things for himself. So God being able to give believers a glorified body is just a small example how Jesus is going to rule and reign over everything. He's conquered death. He displays that in giving us glorified bodies. He's going to subdue all things to himself. So enemies of the cross, let's contrast this real quick. You have destruction. Their ultimate end is destruction. What's our ultimate end? Heaven. Heavenly citizenship. Their God's their belly. What they consume. Our God is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. 
Their glory is their shame. They shouldn't be glorying. Our glory is to be transformed to become like Christ. That's something worth glorying and thanking God for. Their focus is earthly things. Our focus is that all things are going to be subject to Christ. So instead of being in despair that everything's in chaos, it should bring us to hope because we're looking for Christ to subdue all things. We're looking for Christ to rule and to reign. One more verse, chapter 4, verse 1. If you notice in your Bible, it's one paragraph. It's written that way in the original language. It says, Therefore, my beloved and longed-for brethren, my joy and my crown. So stand fast in the Lord, beloved. When we get a real vision of heaven, I think people begin to matter in a far greater way. Is our job what's really going to matter in eternity? No. But the people that we worked with and worked for and interacted with, that's going to matter, isn't it? That's going to matter. And Paul, as he's been reflecting upon eternity, now he's like, oh, what's so valued to me and treasured to me is the church of Philippi. It's people. And he says, you're my beloved. You're my longed for. He's in prison. He can't wait to hopefully see them again. He's saying, my joy and my crown. Are we investing in people in a way that it's going to make a difference in heaven? Well, when Paul gets to heaven, he's looking around the throne room and he's saying, oh, there's my joy and there's my crown. Father, thank you so much that I was able to be used by you to be an influence in their life to touch them for Christ. So I'm so glad I put effort into that. That's what, that's what really matters. What if someone came up to us in heaven, and they said, you know what? I just want to thank you for taking the time to invest in my life. It made all the difference in the world. I eventually received Christ as my Savior. Thank you for being that neighbor that loved on me. Thank you for being that family member that shared Christ with me. Thank you for being that co-worker that had the boldness to share Christ as their Savior. What if another believer comes up to you in eternity and says, oh, you know what? Thank you so much for encouraging me. Thank you for praying for me. Thank you for giving me godly counsel and pointing me back to, to God's word. That was such a crossroads in my life. And that three months that I was a part of your life, 30 years down the road as I continued to walk with the Lord, it made all the difference. And you're going, woohoo! You're going, that is my crown. That's my glory. That's what I was doing here on this earth. All that other stuff, it didn't matter. What do the Gentiles seek? Meaning those that don't know Christ as their Savior. Their mortgage payment, their rent, their 401k, their getting gas in the car. Now, do those things matter? Yes. Do we have to pay attention to those? Yes. But is that what we seek? No. We get to live for something far greater. We get to wake up every day and go, oh, I'm the child of God. I get to invest in people. Yeah, I need to take care of these physical things of life but it's really the spiritual things of life that matter. And then Paul ends the section and he says, so stand fast in the Lord. Stand fast in the Lord. Keep moving forward. Hold your ground. Take courage. Your future is sure and bright. Stand fast in the Lord. Before we take communion, let's endeavor to make this practical. Let's try to put some shoes onto these truths. So here's 
some things to think about and pray about. Find a godly example to follow. Have you found a godly example to follow? Note that person and follow them. Ask someone to mentor you. Join a men's study or a women's Bible study. Get into a small group. Invite someone to lunch or coffee or to your home. Invite someone into your life that's newer in the Lord. So as you're looking for a godly example, invite them into your life. As someone who's newer in the Lord, invite them into your life. But find that godly example to follow. Beware of those that are enemies of the cross. That's what Paul's saying here. Have a heart to weep for them. Have a heart to see them come to know Christ as their Savior. But see the contrast and let's make sure that we're not following in their steps. And then lay hold of your eternal citizenship. Lay hold of it. I'm sure that there's some that are getting word this weekend that they've been granted citizenship of the United States of America. I had a good buddy in school of ministry where he married a Canadian. Crazy. I mean, he married a Canadian. And it, it's worked out well. It really has. But his wife, Margot was going through the process of getting citizenship. And it was difficult. And it was hard. And it took years. And it took lawyers and money and all these things. And then she, she was granted citizenship. I wonder how many for us as believers, as children of God, we are citizens of heaven and we've never realized it. We've never laid hold of it. We haven't rejoiced in the fact that Jesus is preparing a place for us. Moving forward by seeing in a godly example and following it. Moving forward by noting those that are enemies of the cross and then moving forward by laying hold of our citizenship. Would you stand with me and let's pray and prepare our hearts for communion. Father, thank you for the way your word's practical and it, it's real. And as we endeavor to forget those things that are behind and, and move forward, God, by your grace, would you bless relationship? Would you open up new avenues of relationship in our lives? Would you help us to see those that are a Moses, that it's an Elijah, a Paul, that we could link ourselves to them and follow their example? May we be open to a Timothy, to a Joshua, to an Elisha. And Lord, would you help us to see the agenda of those that hate the cross? And may we not allow ourselves to be influenced by their disdain for you. May we have a heart of brokenness and weeping and compassion to see them come to know you. We, we pray as a church family that we would be those that love the lost and share the gospel. And Jesus, right now, we lay hold of our citizenship. We're thankful to be Americans. We pray for a revival in our country, but we hold on to the fact that our citizenship is in heaven. Would you plant your hope deep within our hearts? Would you bless this time of communion? In Jesus' name, amen.